0: this washington post live podcast is presented by at&t business
1: keeping your business connected today and building it for tomorrow with 5g on america's best network you're listening to a podcast from washington post live bringing the post's newsroom to life on stage senator chris coons joined the washington post for a one-on-one interview coons holds the seat that once belonged to joe biden and is part of joe biden's inner circle Coons discussed his outreach to faith-based communities, election security, and the critical role he will play in advancing the Biden-Harris agenda. Let's listen. Good afternoon. I'm not Bob Costa. I'm Jonathan Capehart, opinion writer for The Washington Post. Welcome to Washington Post Live's continuing coverage of the Democratic National Convention. My guest is a good friend, of Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden. As Karen Tumulty just said a moment ago, he took Joe Biden's seat in the U.S. Senate. Chris Coons, Senator Coons, thank you very much for being here.
0: Uh, Thanks, Jonathan. It's great to be on with you.
1: Um, and it's great to actually s- to see you, I haven't seen you in a while. There's been a lot of breaking news um, in, in the last couple of hours. We've learned today that former Trump campaign uh, manager, Steve Bannon has been indicted on fraud charges related to fundraising for a border wall. Um, earlier in the week, we had uh, the Senate intelligence report about um, Paul Manafort, the chairman of the president's 2016 campaign. Uh, the one who first advanced the theory that it was Ukraine interfering in the, in the presidential election in 2016. And then today um, we had news from Manhattan uh, th- uh, that the Manhattan district attorney is able to subpoena the president's financial records. I know I've thrown a lot at you, but you're a member of the U.S. Senate. Give me your reaction on the breaking news, those two pieces of breaking news from today.
0: Well, Jonathan, the fourth piece that I would add to that is the poisoning uh, of Alexei Navalny, um, who has been a persistent critic uh, of Putin, Putin's leadership of Russia, uh, an anti-corruption crusader and a democracy activist uh, who uh, was on a flight from the Far East in uh, Russia uh, to Moscow and his plane had to land. Uh, He's now in a coma uh, and in critical condition, believed to have been poisoned. Uh, He would not be the first uh, of of Putin's critics to be uh, murdered on the steps of the Kremlin or poisoned uh, in the UK or uh, within Russia. Um, and it is just a reminder, as is the final report from the Senate Intelligence Committee that you just referenced, uh, a committee chaired by Republicans, a committee report signed off on by the committee members of both parties uh, that makes it clear that the GRU, Russian military intelligence, uh, had disturbingly close contacts with the most senior levels Uh, of the Trump campaign in 2016. Uh, Jonathan, looking forward, um, my concern is that there are plenty of warnings that Russia intends to and is trying to interfere with our elections this fall. Um, And as someone who just went and visited the postal handling facility, the mail handling facility uh, here in Newcastle, Delaware, yesterday, and saw a very large dismantled automatic mail Mm -hmm. sorting machine out in the garbage, uh, in the trash behind the building, Uh, exposed to the elements for days now. Um, We've got efforts by the Trump administration, by uh, a major donor to his campaign and a hand-picked postmaster general who has taken efforts to try and interfere with our election from within this country. So I'm concerned about the security and sanctity of our election this fall, uh, one that we should be able to conduct safely in the middle of a pandemic. It's something I've worked hard in the Senate to provide uh, additional financial resources to state election, uh, commissioners and boards at the state and county level and to make sure that we've invested in protecting against cyber attacks so
1: that's just one quick tour of a couple <laughs> of
0: different aspects of the questions you asked on the news of the day
1: right and it is a a lengthy tour but speaking of of the post office uh correct me if i'm wrong the postmaster general is testifying tomorrow before the senate correct
0: yes i believe he is in okay, front of the it, homeland security committee uh, in the Senate, and I believe Monday in front of the Oversight Committee uh, in, in the House. In,
1: in the House. And as I was listening to you talk about your visit to the postal facility there in Newcastle, I'm wondering, and people watching might be wondering, what, if anything, can Congress do to stop what the Postmaster General has already done?
0: Uh, well, first, he has made a do. public commitment to stop what he's done. The point about the machinery being out exposed to the elements is how difficult it will be to reverse what he's done. Uh, even if there is some commitment confirmed in writing, presented at a testimony tomorrow and Monday to stop what he's doing, um, reversing it is going to be the challenge. Making sure that there is um, the overtime personnel available, um, that uh, the blue collection boxes that have been taken up. Uh, and the mail handling equipment that's been uh, disassembled, uh, ensuring that there is the capacity to handle the expected surge in mail associated with the election is critical. Um, So that's going to require additional funding. That's going to require additional operational decisions by the postmaster general. uh, And I think pressure from the House and the Senate uh, has made a real difference. But frankly, Jonathan, there's another uh, important pressure. I've gotten 2,000 phone calls and emails from irritated Delawareans because they're a veteran and their medication from the VA is late. They're a small business owner and they can't send and receive checks in a timely fashion. Um, They're a senior and they're concerned about their social security check or they've sent a birthday card to a grandchild and it wasn't received for two weeks. The ways in which this Trump administration friend, Postmaster General DeJoy, altered the delivery schedules, and the timing of mail was immediately noticed across the country. That agitation by average citizens is going to create pressure on Senate Republicans to act. And in the end, that's why I think we're going to see a reversal of the decline in delivery standards.
1: Senator Coons, I know you are a man of faith. You went to Yale Divinity School. Um, You believe in in, in the power of God. Do you really think, given what we've seen over the last three and a half years, that Senate Republicans actually will respond to pressure from constituents upset about the post office, given what appears to be their total fear of President Trump in his Twitter feed?
0: Um, You're right, Jonathan, to point out that there is um, an uneasy balance between what many Republicans know is right what their constituents tell them is right, uh, and their blind loyalty uh, to President Trump. Uh, We've seen time and time again where Trump does or says things that are um, violating all sorts of our rules or norms, uh, or as he did yesterday when he embraced this QAnon um, Mm -hmm. uh, conspiracy theory, he says and does things that are just wacky. I mean, they're just way outside traditions and norms uh, for any president's behavior, and yet they remain loyal to him. Uh, To believe in the Almighty, uh, to believe in the power of prayer, is to believe it is possible, possible for there to be change, uh, even when uh, behavior right in front of you suggests it's unlikely. So I think we need to, what's that old phrase from Ronald Reagan? Uh, Trust but verify. Uh, I'll use a different phrase. You know, we need to pray for change, believe in change, and yet work for it um, and demand accountability. I'll remind you, it was our shared dear friend, uh, Congressman John Lewis, uh, you uh, traveled with John on congressional pilgrimages that I joined uh, to Alabama. It was John Lewis who saw the possibility of change in this nation. Even when his childhood in Troy, Alabama, um, growing up under brutal racist segregation, there was no reason for him to believe um, that peaceful protest could actually change The hearts and minds of the white majority in the South could change the attitudes and intentions of senators in Congress and could lead to legislated change. It is possible for there to be change, but it only happens when we work for it, when we call out inappropriate actions, when we demand change, and then when we act for it.
1: Well, Senator, one person who is working for change is your longtime friend, the Democratic presidential nominee in 2020, Joe Biden. What do you think right now of of his chances of actually defeating President Trump on November 3rd?
0: I'm optimistic, um, but I think this will be a tough election. I think if we know anything about Donald Trump, it's that he will stop at nothing uh, to win re-election. Remember, he was impeached. Um, Many of us in the Senate voted for his removal because of actions he took to try and gin up um, some story in opposition to Joe Biden. So he will not respect traditional norms and boundaries. He's already said he won't automatically accept the results of the election. He makes comments uh, on Twitter and in public daily uh, that he thinks the election will be rigged. So I expect him to resist accepting the results of the election. I do think Joe Biden stands a strong chance of being elected by the popular vote, but as we heard, Uh, both from former Secretary Clinton and from former President Obama. Sometimes winning the the popular vote is not enough, and we need voters because of the electoral college uh, will be decisive. We need to have a turnout um, that breaks through any possible close call and makes it clear. In in my view, one of the most important moments of the last few years was in 2018 uh, when the gavel of the House of Representatives was handed over um, to uh, Congresswoman, now Speaker Pelosi. That was a peaceful transition of power. We had gotten all sorts of dire warnings in the weeks ahead of that, of Russian interference, uh, of possible uh, voter problems, voter fraud, voter challenges, uh, and yet there was such an overwhelming majority in terms of the election of Democrats uh, in the House of Representatives uh, that that transfer happened uh, peaceably. Um, I remain hopeful that that may happen after this November 3rd's election, uh, that we may see an orderly transition of power. But again, we have to be clear-eyed about the ways in which President Trump is, day in and day out, uh, signaling that he has no intention uh, of uh, leaving easily or of refusing to contest uh, and accept the results of this election.
1: Senator, you're going to be introducing uh, Joe Biden before he gives his his acceptance speech. I know you don't wanna give too much away, but give us a sense of what you want to convey in your remarks tonight.
0: Um, Well, I'll tell you what is the central point, which is uh, that I've known Joe Biden for 30 years and I know him to be a man of faith. I know him to be someone uh, who in private moments of both joy and celebration and of deep loss and of grief turns to God in prayer, and that I've seen that impact how he treats others, his empathy, his kindness, the way that even as Vice President of the United States, if he encounters someone who shares with him a story of loss or anxiety or of grief, he gives them a shoulder to cry on uh, or a partner in prayer, or he shares his personal cell phone number with them. Now, Fred Gutenberg is someone who spoke at the convention. I got to meet and know Fred earlier this year in Orlando, and he told a compelling story. His daughter was murdered um, in Parkland, Florida. She was a high school student who was gunned down. He was a suburban Republican businessman, uninterested in and disengaged from politics. And when Joe Biden called him to offer his condolences on that tragic and terrible day, his initial response was, that was nice, but I'll never hear from him again. Joe Biden called him back and called him back and called him back over months until Fred realized he was sincere, he was genuine, he was concerned, and he was engaged with him. That's the Joe Biden I want people to know about, and I want him to recognize that although his own Roman Catholic faith inspires his public service and his commitment to key social justice issues like combating racism, like having a more humane immigration policy, like addressing climate change, that he will be a president for all Americans, that he respects and welcomes and recognizes people of good conscience who practice no particular faith and people of all faiths. You know, Jonathan, folks in my party, Democrats, have long had a problem talking about how our faith inspires our service because we don't want to be disrespectful to humanists or to people of other faith traditions. I think it's long past time for us to step forward and say that in this election, as it has been in previous elections, there are religious issues on the ballot, such as how we address racism and racial inequality, how we address climate change or immigration, where it's okay for us to say that our perspectives on these issues are rooted in our faith. It's led us to progressive political goals rather than uh, folks who for decades now have said that their conservative theology lines up with a conservative political agenda. They are not the only people of faith in our country. And I'm hoping tonight to introduce to Americans of faith who are uncertain whether the Democratic Party sees them, values them, or welcomes them, that they are.
1: You, 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 listening to your answer, you, you remind me of former South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg, who made not made a point of wearing his faith on his sleeve, but he was unashamed, unabashed, and just openly talking about faith, not willing to cede the field of faith solely solely to Republicans. Do you do you think or do you worry that that kind of talk, if you will? will turn off Democratic voters for whom the separation of church and state is something they take super seriously.
0: Well, Jonathan, I think it was important to have Mayor Buttigieg talk about um, his service to our nation as a veteran, his service and leadership of a, of a city, um, and uh, his marriage and his faith, and how all of that makes him a complete person. You can't really understand Mayor Pete's Uh, skills and capabilities, his leadership and his priorities without understanding his faith. But he was far from alone on the presidential uh, campaign stage during the primaries. Elizabeth Warren also talked about growing up in a family of faith, being a Sunday school teacher. Cory Booker often cited cited passages from scripture, uh, both Christian, Jewish and other scriptural sources. Um, And Joe Biden is someone who, although quite private about his faith, um, it has informed him. To your question, Jonathan, I do think it's important that we make it clear that we respect the separation of church and state, that we see and respect and welcome non-theists, humanists, uh, people who um, are good people who contribute to our society and are part of our politics uh, but are not part of an organized religion. Um, and that we respect and recognize the tens of millions of Americans who are spiritual, um, who have uh, prayer practices and spiritual practices, uh, but who have been harmed by or turned off by or distanced by organized religion. Finding a way to convey um, that our priorities, that our values, that our politics uh, are rooted in the faiths of those of us who are raised in certain faith traditions, but that we are respectful Of the separation of church and state and welcoming to those uh, who are from a wide range of faith traditions or who have no religious tradition. That is a challenge, but one we shouldn't shy away from. Jonathan, for too long we've simply been silent and allowed our political opponents to project into that silence uh, an absence of values and an absence of priorities. I think one of the most important religious issues on the ballot this fall is white supremacy and the founding sin of this nation, which was slavery. And I don't know how any minister, rabbi, priest, person of faith could disagree that if we honestly are gonna see each other as children of God and treat each other as neighbors, we have to confront and address this nation's racist
1: history. Well, you're not going to get a, a, any disagreement from me on that. Let's talk about something, a a, a, um, a, a not a rift, but a tension in the party um, that is present and, and front of mind. And that is the progressive wing of the party. Do you have any concerns uh, that the progressive wing of the Democratic Party is, is not 100% behind, behind Joe Biden?
0: Jonathan, I have never seen my party as united as they are right now. Um, The range of folks uh, who spoke, who endorsed Joe, uh, who cheered for him, um, both in the last months of the campaign and during this convention, uh, is broader and stronger than I've seen at any point in my life. And my first convention was in 1988. Uh, so I've been at this just a couple of years. I mean, who else other than Joe Biden could have gotten uh, Bernie Sanders? and John Kasich, both former presidential candidates uh, of the progressive wing of the Democratic Party uh, and of the center-right faction of the Republican Party, um, speaking in one voice uh, this week. Uh, I do think it's important um, for uh, progressives to look clearly about what the alternatives are. Those were Bernie's remarks, essentially, if I could try and summarize them. Senator Sanders said that he knows clearly the costs and consequences for our nation of four more years of Donald Trump as president, and he is enthusiastically supporting Joe Biden and will work hand-in-hand with the Biden-Harris administration. Look at the process that produced our platform. uh, Look at the process that produced uh, the policy positions of the Biden uh, campaign, and I think you'll see the most unified Democratic Party of my adult lifetime.
1: Uh, One more question on this. Uh, I agree with you. I, I I see it, and I sense it that the Democratic Party is more unified than it's than it's ever been uh, for as long as I've been covering politics. But is that because they are full square behind Joe Biden, or because they are full square behind getting rid of Donald Trump?
0: Well, the two are intimately connected. Um, if our nominee is not elected president, there's no, reasonable way to expect that we're going to get rid of Donald Trump. So the two are closely intertwined. When we get to January, if Joe Biden's president, Kamala Harris is vice president, and we happen to have control of the House and the Senate, I expect some of those policy differences will reemerge. But we know who Joe Biden is. We know what his heart is. We know his empathy, compassion, and concern for the American people. And he knows that this moment is going to call for bold action. If he becomes president, he will do so in the midst of three crises at the same moment, a global public health pandemic, the bungled handling of which by President Trump has produced a deep and long recession, and both of which have had an unequal impact on black and brown communities across our country. We will have to do bold things to move this country forward. And I will be head of the line, extending my hand to Republicans saying, work with us, let's make progress together. If they refuse to do so, we'll have some hard choices about how to proceed. Um, But I'll be following in Joe Biden's footsteps in using um, the relationships I've built, uh, the bipartisan bridges I've built to try and make progress as soon as possible after the election.
1: Now, you're also on the ballot this November. You're running for your second Uh, full term in the Senate. Do you think that in the 117th Congress, you'll be in the majority in the Senate? Do the Democrats actually have a shot at overtaking the majority?
0: We do actually have a shot. It's gotten better as conditions in the country have gotten worse and as it's been clearer and clearer um, that it was Donald Trump's failed leadership that has contributed uh, to the suffering of so many Americans. So, you know, frankly, we've got a great field of candidates. Um, They are running against uh, some seasoned incumbents who are capable candidates themselves but our candidates are out-raising them. They are out-electioning, they are out-campaigning their opponents, and poll after poll shows that we are likely to pick up seats in Arizona, in Colorado, in Montana, in Maine, in North Carolina. Uh, One of the challenges that I'll face, Jonathan, is that means some of the folks I've worked well with in terms of legislation uh, will be former senators, but it also means that those joining this new Democratic majority uh, will be senators elected uh, by purple states. So in Montana, for example, Donald Trump will probably be reelected in Montana by double digits. but it's quite likely uh, that Governor Bullock will be the next senator from Montana. That means he will probably govern, probably lead, vote as a senator uh, in a more centrist way uh, than might be the case if we were electing an additional senator, you know from Hawaii or from Connecticut. So um, the places that are in play are purple states, not deep blue states. Uh, And if we are successful because we elect, um, you know, Reverend Warnock in Georgia uh, or Sarah Gideon in Maine, uh, it'll be because the country has looked at this moment and said uh, they want Joe Biden to be able to lead and they want him to have a Senate majority that he can work with.
1: Or Jamie Harrison in in South Carolina. Or Jamie Harrison in
0: South Carolina,
1: yes. In the less than two minutes that we have left, I want to end with this question. After what we've seen over the last three and a half years of this presidency, and particularly since May 25th, the killing of of George Floyd in Minneapolis, what would it say about America if indeed Donald Trump is reelected president of the United States?
0: Well, Jonathan, I did a call uh, earlier this week uh, through NDI um, with former Secretary Madeleine Albright, with Michelle Flournoy, who's uh, one of the brightest minds in defense and security policy, and we were talking about the future. Um, there were more than a hundred countries represented, their ambassadors or delegates, uh, who are here to observe the Democratic National Convention, uh, and it was a reminder to me that the whole world really is watching. If we re-elect President Donald Trump, first, it will send a signal uh, to our partners and allies around the world uh, that we are no longer. The reliable champion of human rights, of democracy, of a free press that we have so long been because of President Trump's shameful record of winking at authoritarians and putting his thumb in the eye of our closest allies in democratic countries like Germany, the United Kingdom, and Canada. Second, I think it'll send a bad message to our own children and grandchildren. The tone of former First Lady Michelle Obama's remarks at the convention really focused on this, the way in which uh, the mean-spiritedness, the the bullying by President Trump, his conduct uh, in public and on Twitter, the ways in which he's gone after his opponents, both in the Republican Party uh, and in my party, sends a wrong signal to our kids and to our country about how to get ahead, about how to lead. Uh, there's not an ounce of humility, a graciousness, um, centeredness to this man. Uh, and I think it's important Um, that we show that that's what we value. So a large part of why I've been such an enthusiastic um, supporter of Joe Biden since he announced is that I know his character, I know his empathy, I know the kindness that I've seen him show to others of all backgrounds. It was Lindsey Graham um, who tearfully was quoted uh, in an interview a few years ago saying, God has made no finer person than Joe Biden. The people who've worked with him in the Senate, the people who've met him just casually in an elevator or on the street, uh, or uh, as he was going to the grocery store after mass, have come to know him as a man of decency, empathy, and faith in us, faith in our future. If we reelect Donald Trump at this moment, I think it sends exactly the wrong message to the world, to our country, and to history. And if we choose instead to elect Joe Biden, I think we will elect a decent man, who has shown kindness and empathy throughout his life and who has chosen in Kamala Harris, one of my great colleagues on the Senate Judiciary Committee, a tremendous partner. And in combination, that ticket shows the ways in which we are embracing the future of America, a future that is more inclusive and just and that has unlimited promise.
1: Senator Chris Coons, why do I have a feeling that we were just given a giant preview of your remarks tonight? We're going to have to leave it there. Senator Chris Coons of Delaware, thank you very much for being on Washington Post Live.
0: Thank you, Jonathan. Always great to be with you.
1: Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.